And so, Lord, we come into your presence to worship you and cast our gaze upon you. May we learn what it means that we are eternal beings, that you've put eternity in our hearts. May we understand that all of our days matter. Everything that we do, God, worships you. May we recognize it and may we be people. May we be people driven by you, following in your footsteps, people who change the world during our one lifetime. It is in the name of Jesus that we gather and we pray. And we all said, amen. Please have a seat, everyone. Glad to be with you. I give you a verse out of Ecclesiastes. Uh, It's in the Old Testament. And if you brought your Bible, or if you want to pull it up on your phone, on a Bible app or something like that, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is famous. Uh, It's the turn, turn, turn. Uh, to everything there is a time, and uh, this are the uh, three verses right after that, and so I give this to you. So I'm reading out of the uh, New International Version version because I like it uh, for this particular particular passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the heart, in the human heart. And yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. He's set eternity in the human heart. And that's what I want to present about this morning. This series that I'm doing this Sunday and then uh, elders are up next week and then the two more after it. This is the stuff I've been learning lately, and this is what I've been chewing on now for about two and a half years, and I finally got the courage up, or at least some little inkling of brain power to try and figure out how to articulate it. But I'm learning about eternity in the hearts, and I think, I think this is what I got. I'm learning that I'm learning that I'm skeptical of our modern age in a how should I put it? A philosophical way. I'm skeptical of our modern age. I'm convinced that our lifetime, the age that we're living in, is void and absent of things like meaning and beauty and mystery and myth and transcendence. And therefore, it's, it lacks God. And, it is, and in my estimation then, I think we are living in an age, a time, an epoch, whatever you want to call it, not only where we are just this sort of horizontal human race, but that we're actually not flourishing, despite how wonderful living is these days. I don't think this is the pinnacle of humanity. I don't think we're at our very best by a long shot. I'm learning that we live in an age of information and facts and scientific proofs, and technology, and materialism, and flickering moments, and ticking clocks. We live in an age where we know more and more, but I believe we understand less and less of why we're here. Now, in case you want to just write me off as like some old out-of-touch guy who's just hearkening for the good old days, let me just say that the modern age began around 500 years ago. With the, uh, with really with the Protestant Reformation, which was 500 years ago. Actually, the Protestant Reformation is sort of a, a 
outcropping, a, a precipitant of the beginning of the modern age in Europe. And then our modern age, moving forward, gained huge traction with the American democratic experiment, which is what continental Europe called us. Uh, they didn't think America would ever make it. Those United States, those silly colonialists, they'll never figure out how to rule themselves. They need a king. And, uh, but we outdid them, and we made it work. Yeah, I think, pretty much. And um, we did not fail. And so that was part of the modern age where people self-governed. Notice the rise of the individual now coming up. And this is part of the modern age is really the, the rise of the supremacy of the individual, each person Uh, well, frankly, becoming their own God. And then our modern age hit its current stride right after World War I, around 1918 or so. The war to end all wars and the industrial and technological age hit its mainstream with Henry Ford and the Model T. Transportation took off. The telephone took off. You know, uh, everything technology as far as communication and accelerated speed all took off at that point. And this is really puts us into the modern expression of the modern age. And then our modern age found its next stage in the 1960s in those good old hippies, you know, because the hippies expressed the idea of self-expression and be your own self. And I've got to find myself and I've got to go stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and say, what's it all about, Alfie? You know, they had to do that thing that was all about them. And the individual was paramount and supreme to anything else. You inside your skin are the universe. That's part of the modern age. So if I am that old guy just hearkening for the good old days, I'm a 500-year-old old guy. So uh, this goes well beyond my lifetime and yours as well. The modern age began 500 years ago, and it's still going strong, and it's not done by a long shot. You can call it postmodern or hypermodern or whatever you want. It's all modern. And a thousand years from now, when historians and civilization looks back, they'll say things about us, and they'll call, oh, the modern age, you know. But I'm convinced that despite all the wonderful technologies and comforts and conveniences we have in this progressive modern age, It's not our best living. It's not the best human age by a long shot. And you're thinking like, what are you talking about, man? I mean, we've got to be damned. Are not cell phones incredible? You're walking around with a supercomputer in your pocket, right? Are not self-driving cars awesome? That's going to be here any time. Are not airplanes excellent traveling at, you know, 500 miles an hour, 30,000 feet in the air? Drinking something? Like, that's crazy. You know? Is not central air conditioning and heat, like, really good? How about flush toilets? Amen for flush toilets. Is that good as opposed to going out to the privy? You know? Uh, Fast food? Okay. Medicine? (laughs) Pop-tarts? I mean, come on, guys. You know, is this not the best living? Is that not progress? It's pretty cool, but we have no soul. We've lost our soul in the modern age. We've lost eternity in our hearts. We don't know what our soul is. We we think we might have one, but it's kind of more of a metaphorical expression. 
When I claim we have no soul, I mean we cannot find our God-gifted eternity in our souls like Koholif, the teacher in Ecclesiastes says. Koholif says God gave us eternity in our hearts. And we all look at ourselves and we say, I can't find it. I don't know where it is. We can't find our eternity. We've lost our sense of the eternal. So in order to make my point, I'm going to pick on time, you know, like tick, 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 time. In particular, uh, our sense of time, how we think about it these days, and then God's sense of time, which is the eternal aspect. And so I begin with this object lesson right here, this extra heavy case, use the knees, not the back, of family photo albums, folks, right here. We just moved, for some of you who don't know it, the Wilburns moved after living in our house for 24 years. Uh, Lakeland started in our old house on Nottingham. We raised our kids there. It's the only house we've ever owned. We bought it two weeks before it was complete. I've Every nail, screw, and wire nut I did in that house. And when we moved in, I'm the youngest of five kids, and we we didn't own hardly anything. We loaded everything in the on one of those little crate things that they stick on the back of the moving van when we came from L.A. We didn't have anything, so we looked ripe for everybody in the family to dump these photo albums on Lori and Dan. I stopped counting, as we moved last week, 12 boxes of family photo albums. I've moved them all over. I've shuffled them at the old house, picked them up, and you know the number of times we all sat down as a family and turned on some Norman Rockwell music and said, hey, let's look at the family photo albums, a big goose egg. (laughs) Never have we looked at the family photo albums, but God forbid that we ever get rid of them. What do you do with, is anybody else here in my boat, you got family photo albums that could sink a ship. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of valuable stuff in there. They all told me. Aunt Ruth, Aunt Nina's pictures in there. What's an Aunt Nina? <laughs> well, it was time to move. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was time to move. Time. You know, because, you know, there comes a time for everything under heaven. And time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping. (laughs) And you get old. As I tell people, you know, remember this? This is for all you science nerds. Delta T, right? Little old case looking italicized T. Delta T means changing time, right, in the equation. It was on the test. And you're getting older and time changes. For a quarter of a century, I've lifted and shuffled these boxes around. And they are important photos going back well over 100 years. And we have tons of this stuff, and we don't look at any of them. You know, when I ask around, only a handful of people that I've ever run into look at old family photo albums, you know. And it's usually at their mom's house or something. Old photos don't mean anything to us, folks. Okay, if old photos don't mean anything to us, then let's just leap forward to Instagram and Snapchat and whatever else is out there. And you're taking pictures 
of your food and your friends and so forth. And how many times have you looked at an old Instagram picture from three years ago? Thank you. I see those hands. Come down when the, just as I am. Anyway, a few do, but not the rest of us. That's not the point. Snapchance and Instagram, that's what they're called. Instagram and Snap, they're, they're gone. Because at least in our modern age, we get the fact that this don't mean a thing. And neither did the picture of your appetizer at the hip restaurant about 10 seconds after you posted it. After you posted it, it's done and gone. We have no eternity. We have instead an eternal now. Just this moment. That's all that matters. We have no past. We have no future. And this is a mark of the modern age. And this is why I'm saying this is not our best human flourishing. We have no eternity, we have no past, we have no future. We don't really understand why we're here except for comfort and convenience and fun. And those are really attractive things. And that's why we don't leave them. No past, no future. No sense of why we're here. Our instantaneous, what I'm going to mix up terms here, our eternal now, this eternal instant, is exactly the opposite of what the teacher, Koholith, calls eternity in our hearts. That God-shaped vacuum in our soul. Ecclesiastes is known for uh, using the word vain, like vanity. You know, in the old King James Version, uh, it says, uh, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, right? Right there in um, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and then Ecclesiastes 3. There's a time for everything. But, and then the NIV, the New International Version, if you have that version around, they tried to interpret vanity because nobody uses the old-timey, English-y word vanity, like vanity, vanity fair, that's about it, you know, or, or you're so vain. That's about, on geezer rock. That's about all you get. Sorry, Carly, didn't mean to throw you under the bus like that, but... Um, so, but, so they tried to update, the NIV tried to update it to meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And uh, it's an interpretation of vanity. And in my opinion, you just can't get, there's some words you can't fix. And meaningless doesn't cut it for vanity. Vanity is still a good word. I think we know what it means, but let me just try and dig into it here a moment because this gets into our sense of time. This struggle to understand, you know, what vanity is. We're talking about vanity, and it, it might as well uh, throw in this, um, this concept. Let me try and explain it this way. Let's throw in this other word, profane. There's another word that we don't use very much. That's profane. We know the word profanity, so let's go with that. Profane means more than just a curse word. That's profane. A vulgar word that will get your mouth washed out with soap. You know what I mean? Talk about get your mouth washed out with soap. Probably nobody's had their mouth washed out with soap. But in the Christmas story, you know, what's that little guy's name in the Christmas story? And he's out there helping change the tire with his dad. And he puts the lug nuts in the hubcap. And then the hubcap lug nuts go up in the snow in slow motion. And he goes, oh, fudge. And he says, but I didn't say fudge. And next thing you see him eating, he's chewing on a bar of soap. So that's what we mean by profanity. 
It means, profane means, it's profoundly ridiculous. It's amazingly pointless. That's what profane means. That's what profanity is. That's why we utter a profanity. Because we all know that to ask God to damn something or someone is profane because it's impossible for God to damn anything. I'm getting by with murder this morning. You can't, God can't damn anything. And so when, because the Bible says God is love, but the Bible never says God is damning. And so to exclaim, oh my God, OMG, it only shows how vainly, profanely, we don't care. It's a minuscule shock to say like, oh my God, my food's late at the table. You know, it's like, we know what we're saying. We're saying that's no big deal, but we appeal to the highest court of heaven and God, and that's what makes it profane. We feel the contrast between appealing to an eternal God and, and yet knowing it doesn't matter. You see the modern age there? This concept of God with no reality of it, and that's why it's a profanity. It's pointless. It's frustrating. There's nothing to it. It's just meh. Okay, here. What about this? Philosophers talk about profane time and eternal time. Or secular time and sacred time. Or temporal time like, or, or higher time. Temporal, meaning like tempo, like time. Or what you might call mundane, vain, profane time, and then eternity, as Koholith in Ecclesiastes says. Something beyond, a higher narrative. There was a time when God and time were both eternal in the human soul. In the idea, in the concept of being a human being, we understood eternity in our soul. Eternity was in our hearts. It was in our meaning of life. There was a time when the human experience was filled with the divine, with mystery. The human heart was open to eternity. We looked up to the heavens and we beheld mystery and we pondered the stars and we were filled with awe and majesty. As the psalmist in Psalm 19 says... Very first two verses, Psalm 19. It says, The heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech. And night to night declares knowledge. And on and on it goes. This is C.S. Lewis's favorite psalm, by the way. You can, you can see the Chronicles of Narnia explode in this for all you C.S. Lewis, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe type people. Aslan is the sun coming forth from his tent. Radiant. By the way, as a side, just speaking about C.S. Lewis, in order to talk about this psalm, he had to create a fantasy because there's no traction for it in our mundane, vain, profane time. We don't get it unless it becomes a fairy tale. We are absent a fairy tale. I, we call it a fairy tale, which means it's not true.
Well, it's not called stargazing for nothing, according to the scriptures. The ancient Greeks, they saw stories in the sky. But by the 17th century, as the modern age is getting under its current traction, Francis Bacon, British philosopher, naturalist, knowing exactly what he's critiquing, says, when I look up into the sky, he's saying, I no longer see any stories. He said, all I see is cold, dark space and rock. And he thought he was saying, see what a victory we have achieved. We no longer see, you know, Aries and Virgo and Orion and all of this. We're done with that. Okay, how about this then, if this kind of feels a little weird? Try this one on. Everybody watch Downton Abbey? You know, Downton Abbey, the period piece. There's a movie out on it right now, you know, and it's a TV series. I think it was, what was it, three or something series, uh, seasons. Downton Abbey, it's about the, the decline. It's, it takes place as a period piece in uh, 1920s. And it's about the decline of the British aristocracy and their struggle to hang on to their past and yet they're living in the modern age. And British aristocracy is just vaporizing after World War I because the British Empire was bankrupt. And uh, so it's the story of Downton Abbey. And um, in the show, which is shot at uh, Highclere Castle, a real castle in Britain, in the show at the real castle, which you can go there and take a tour and have tea and so forth and things like that and probably spend a bunch of money, But in the show, there's a gallery room. And this room you go into, and from floor to ceiling on all four walls, there are nothing but huge oil paintings of old dead dudes and dudettes. And they're they're men and women. And what was supposed to happen is, is when you go into that room after dinner or whatever, you could hear the stories And your ancestors and the people that got you all this wealth and everything and your titles, they're around you and you knew your meaning and you knew what you, where you came from and you knew where you were supposed to go. Okay, that's cool and all that's supposedly kind of gone in Britain now, right? So let's just jump to the good American expression of this same thing. You go down to the Nelson Atkins Museum, right? Did you decide there, or are you just doing somebody a favor by going with them? I get it. You're going down the Nelson, and you go walking around those European galleries in there, and there's, you know, Lord somebody and Lady whatever her name is, and then you kind of read the little plaque, and this is the Duchess of so-and-so, and and this is oil with tempura on canvas uh, done by so-and-so, and it's supposed to look like this other artist. And, uh, anybody hungry? Because I'm tired. Let's go find the place where the food is. And then we leave Lady What's-Her-Name and go get the snacks. And that's about all we got. That's all Americans can do with that. Some old dead dude hanging on a wall in a museum. Don't make no sense to us. We're done with that. That's boring. Instead, we live in split-second snap and insta. And it's no different than these old dusty pictures in this crate right here. We don't have any eternity 
We have no concept. We have no God traction. We have no soul traction. We can't figure it out. It's missing. And that's why I say we're not living in the best human flourishing that we can as a human race. We don't get it. And we can't get it. It's not our fault. It's what we've just been working on for 500 years. So, as a spiritual leader, right, as somebody, you know, who's a soul doctor, this is a big deal to me. That's why this is why I've been learning. As, as, a, as a spiritual person, as a pastor, I recognize that discipleship is really hard. It's hard to get people to find eternity in their soul. To follow Jesus, one has to drop their fishing nets first and then come follow Jesus. But this modern, temporal, vain, profane, you know, leveled out, horizontal time thing is just not something we can even grasp or do. How do you connect with heaven when you're completely horizontal in your time concept? This is just the water we live in. This is the air we breathe. And that's why the spiritual, heart, spiritual life is so hard to, to crack. To be Christian is to give up one's present modern philosophical worldview. You know how hard that is? And adopt a mystical worldview. No wonder some brands of Christianity, when they can't figure it out, particularly in America, when Americans, American Christianity, this is a critique of American Christianity, when American Christianity cannot figure out that eternity in the soul, when it can't get it, it does the worst possible thing. Christianity just turns into fundamentalist moralism, and it leans in both political spectrums. Either it goes to moralism and railing against gays and anybody else who's doing some sin, and they got a list of sins that they can throw you at. Or it goes to the other fundamentalist moralism and says it's all about social justice. We really don't care about prayer, thoughts and prayers or anything like that. It's just all about, like, do some good, man. Those we hate and those we love, both of them are moralist agendas. No eternal. No soul. You don't need Jesus to be a moralist. You don't need God to be a moralist. I mean, it helps. It's this big stick you can go around and whack people with the God stick if you want. And judge them. I fight like crazy to overcome moralism in Christianity with you guys. Christians have to hold eternity in their hearts. This week, I told somebody I was preaching on eternity, and they replied, oh, good, eternity, no more work. That was their concept. I don't have to work. In heaven, uh, we don't have to work anymore. No, we don't have to do that stuff anymore. That'll be really easy. You know, so imagine this. Heaven's not so much no work or an endless buffet, like you're on some celestial cruise ship, you know, or worst. One long Pentecostal worship service, or really worse, one long Presbyterian worship service. We're Presbyterian around here, you know that? Like, could it be any worse? I don't want to go to heaven. I just want to go to the frat party. Is there a frat party in heaven? You know? Because we can only understand heaven and eternity in our temporal, profane, vain time. 
this leveled out, nothing. Like we think of heaven as one day after another. You get up, you eat, you go to the Presbyterian worship service, and then you go to the Pentecostal worship service, and then we're going to throw in an Eastern Orthodox service. That's the spicy part, you know. And then you're going to eat lunch, and then after that you're going to go back to worship service, and then you're going to get done, you're going to go to the buffet, and then you go back to worship service, and you're thinking like, I'm tired. I don't know about this heaven thing. I mean, in some point, you just think like, could we just watch some Chiefs reruns after a meal? Would that be okay? And just take a break from the worship service. That be is that allowable in heaven? Heaven's eternal, everyone. Because in heaven, there is no time, the way we understand profane time. There is no time. It's not one thing after another. Instead, wrap your head around eternity here just for a moment. Eternity is not one day following another. Eternity, in eternity, we are in the presence of God, who sees and experiences all things in one eternal moment. God is beyond time. C.S. Lewis tried to describe it this way, and he says it wasn't a very good illustration. He asked for forgiveness. He says, okay, he got a piece of paper, and he drew a line across the paper. And he says, you see this line on this piece of paper? He says, that's your life, and this is the way we think about time. And there's little tick marks on that piece of paper, on that line, and you're thinking day one, day two, day three, you're born, you know, down here you die. That's what you're thinking. Time is a line, chronological time. And then C.S. Lewis said, but God is the whole piece of paper. It all happens at once. And that's how come God's beyond time. And that's a small entrance into the idea of eternity. So if you want to glimpse eternity in your heart, then you need eternal glimpsing practices. You need tools because it's like you're... It's like you're a fish in water and you live in water and now you're going to jump out of the air, jump out into the air and go back into the water. Like this is all I'm telling you to do. This is what we have to do as Christians, okay? So I got three things for you. One, read your Bible. Immerse yourself in the Bible. It is the Bible, the Bible talks about God in this eternal, you know, dimension, if you want to call it that. Immerse yourself in that story and in that world. Folks, the Bible is not a science book. It doesn't explain quasars or bosons or, for that matter, anything. It's a, it's a narrative about the nature of God and humanity. It's a story that you enter into. And the story is set in eternity crashing into vain temporal time. And if you don't immerse yourself in the Bible's story, then you don't get God's story. That's why it's called God's storybook. So that's the first thing is immerse yourself in the Bible. Practice the stories in there. Jonah, the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, the New Testament, the Gospels, the Revelations, if you want to really get into it. You realize that most of Revelations, by the way, for about over 20 chapters is actually... Uh, something that's happening right now. It's not a revelation about the future. That's only the last few verses. It's a window into heaven right now. Anyway. So, second practice. 
engage in spiritual disciplines of quiet. You need eternal practices, disciplines of quiet, solitude, silence. This is the moment. You go out to, to Los Angeles, right? And you go out to Manhattan Beach, right? And, you're, and let's just say you get out there by 10 in the morning. And there's no one out there, right? Everybody's gone to work. And you stand there. And you're, your feet are in the sand. And the waves are coming in. And there's those six and eight foot waves out there. And you can feel them crash into the, the shore. And the vibration, the thud goes up your legs. You ever done that? You can feel it in your feet. And what happens is you start gazing at the horizon. And the whole continent behind you disappears. And you're looking out at the ocean and you think, that's big. It's a good starting place. And you think, I am small. And this ocean waves has been doing this for a really long time. You go out at night and you look up at the sky and you think, billions, trillions, are we up to trillions these days and talking about space? That's so long. How's it start? Where's it end? And we get these little glimpses, these practices. When we get quiet, when we get quiet and out of our snap and instant world, and you gaze into the fire and you look at the water and you watch a tree and you're walking through the woods, and that's a practice you do. Just take a walk. It's fall, you guys. It is a beautiful time to go for a walk, run, or sit somewhere and, and watch the season. Like this morning. Is it any more spectacular than this morning? Get out there after the Chiefs game. Get out there. Wait, that's at 729. Forget that. <laughs> Before the Chiefs game. And, and let take a walk in the quiet woods and just go for a walk. And just think, that tree's been there much longer than me, and it'll be there after me. I'm very, very short time-wise. Very, very small world-wise. That's one window into it. The ancients, like Koholith, the teacher in Ecclesiastes, totally understood that. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is a a man's life starting out at birth and then dying in the end. It's a lifetime. So practice uh, disciplines of quiet, solitude, silence, fasting, all sorts of things like that. Third practice is, uh, okay, scan, or um, this is, I'm just going to try and crash some technology in here, right? Take, go through these because I know you're all dying now. You're like, wow, I heard a sermon on photo albums, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to look at every one of them. Not. So find like a dozen. I'm telling myself this. Find like a dozen pictures out of all these, that, and look quickly because you're not going to make it through about one album, and scan them or take a picture of them, and then stick it on one of those digital um, photo frames, in your house, anybody got any of those? This is a great Christmas gift, right? So we got one in the kitchen now. And I'm telling you, we have pictures of the kids when they were little and they're getting bigger, you know, because kids get bigger. And, and like, oh, that's cool. I remember that. You know, there we are sitting around the fire doing s'mores and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, at least we got something. So take Aunt Nina or whoever's in here and put her on the digital frame. Okay. Put your parents on there. Do something to try and get your concept of a life. Live your whole life, not just an Insta chat. 
Live the whole thing. Become an eternal person. Put eternity back into your heart. Force it in there if you have to. Find something to make it happen. Those three ideas. Famous theologian, I'll end up with this stuff. Famous theologian, Carl Rahner. Carl Rahner once wrote this. He said, the devout of tomorrow, and he's talking about our day, the devout of tomorrow will be a mystic or else he or she will not be anything at all. You guys, the future of Christianity is mysticism in the face of the modern age. Not moralism. It's mysticism. Rahner said, we have lost our God traction and we're not going to get it back unless you become a mystic. If philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said God is dead, it isn't God who died. It's us who have died. We have died to eternity and we have no God traction left. Modern society died to all things eternal, including God. And that's why God doesn't make any sense anymore. You can find this, this death in culture all day long. There's a famous quote that gets, keeps getting quoted, at least in the stuff I read, from a novelist. And one of the novelist's characters said this, so get this one down. I don't believe in God, but I'm missing. I don't believe in God, but I'm missing. Isn't that descriptive of our entire world around us? People who have a distant echo of God, but they're like, I can't really believe in God. That's so sad another fairy tale and we are so past fairy tales I have Snapchat and yet everyone and yet we'll pay whatever it takes to go see the next version of Star Wars or Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or any one of those series that's on television right now where somebody sprouts wings and has superpowers and can do spectacular mystical, magical things. The human soul craves some sort of mystery. It has eternity in its heart and it cannot escape it. That's my point. And that's what I'm learning. And you should learn it too because you are a light into the world and you are a mystic sent out of these doors to go out through your week and reveal God through Jesus Christ to people. This is what you bring to the world. It's not religion. It's meaning. That's your job. It's not your job. It's your identity. It's who you are. Lean into it. Don't let the modern age wash you over and obscure your soul. It doesn't get it. It doesn't have any traction for it. And yet you are a gift to the world. How's that for a hippie kind of quote? You are a gift. You point. You're a pointer towards God. Make it happen. And you'll just see these people yearning so desperately for God. You hear it all the time, you know. I was thinking uh, this this week when the weather turned cold and suddenly the old, uh, not that I was around during this time, but the old Mamas and Papas song, you know, All the Leaves Are Brown, you know, California Dream. And I'm thinking like, and then you know that line in there? Talk about yearning for God. It says, I stopped into a church and I began to pray. Right? 
and then it didn't really matter. And then I was thinking of American Pie when I thought of that song, you know, American Pie, Don McLean. And he, he's saying, I went down to the sacred store. This is the sad part when he gets to the end of the song and says, I met a girl who sang the blues. And then he says, I went into the sacred store where I'd heard the music once before, but the music didn't play there anymore. I miss God. You know, I mean, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. And then just jump up to the 90s, really current stuff. That's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight. What? Losing my religion. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. That's the world we walk in. That's what we're wandering in. And you are a sage and a mystic. You are Ecclesiastes to the world. And they've lost eternity, and you are going to take them back there. That's what you're supposed to do. Amen.